This is the Car Dealer Podcast driven by CarGurus. You want the best return for your advertising budgets and CarGurus Piston Heads are focused on the same goal. With them, you have access to millions of monthly shoppers across both sites. Connect with in-market high-quality buyers today and turbocharge your digital forecourt. For more information, visit dealerpackages.cargurus.co.uk and schedule a demo with their team. That's dealerpackages.cargurus.co.uk and tell them we sent you. Welcome back to the Car Dealer Podcast. If you haven't listened before, we pick our favourite stories of the week and ask an industry guest to choose which were the best. I'm John Ray, and joining me this week is founder of Car Dealer Magazine and Scaffolding College graduate, James Baggett. <laughs> Thank you for reading that, John. Yes, I did have two weeks of Scaffolding College. Realised it wasn't for me because I don't like heights, so I left. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to have to ask on that. Did you not think beforehand... Possibly. Well, I, just thought, I thought height. I could be the man that passes the poles up. Um, um, obviously not. No, you had to climb up. The first day we went to scaffolding college, they had this big tower, understandably made of scaffolding, that you had to climb up to the top of uh, and pull the poles up. And I realised then that that wasn't something I wanted to do, so got my mum to come pick me up. <laughs> <laughs> and henceforth, uh, Cardi Lou was born. <laughs> oh, oh. Yeah, thanks for bringing that up, John. Uh, I'm glad that you've looked looked at my CV in uh, in detail. Mm. Yes, yes, it's uh, it's quite far up the CV. How are you? What's your What have you been doing this week? It's been mad this week, isn't it? It's been absolutely bonkers. Uh, the website's gone crazy. Um, since Saturday, we've been having monumental traffic just to a huge number of different stories. Some of them I didn't think would be as popular as they were. Um, but yeah, just been news story after news story this week. So I'm looking forward to this week's podcast because there's lots to talk about. Mm, yes. How about your good self? Uh, well, same. Yes. Um, I've been car shopping this week with my mum, which has been a very, for her, I should say. She's not buying me a car, um, you know, lovely as that would be. So that's been all the kind of usual stress that you get when you're trying to show people cars and they are not did really she, in the mind, frame of mind of all these different things. Bear in mind, she hasn't had a new car since 2008. So quite a lot has changed, um, such as why do the wipers work automatically? Um, <laughs> one of the many changes. What Did she buy one? She did. She bought a lovely Toyota Yaris. Oh, brand new. Mm-hmm. Yeah, brand new. Delivery in August, hopefully. But that's a, well, we'll see, won't we? Yeah, it's not too bad, is it? Mm. No, it's certainly not JLR level weight, but I'm sure we'll come on to that in the podcast. I'm sure we will. I will introduce our guest. Uh, So joining us this week is Tom Wood, CEO of Car and Classic. Hello, Tom. Lovely to meet you. Thanks for having me again. Nice to see you both. And you. Very good to see you, Tom. Thanks for coming back. We last had you on in sort of September, I think which is not that long ago, really, in the grand scheme of things, is it? But quite a lot has changed with used car prices then. Um, I mean, what have you seen from your area of the market? Yeah, it has been a... Uh, it's, some things have changed, haven't they? It's been a really interesting um, couple of quarters. Yeah, it was you know, September 22. And, um, yeah, we had a really interesting winter. I think everything, everything went quite quiet in November and December in the classic car world. And obviously, we work mostly in that space kind of classic and collectible 
Um, but we've had a great start to the year, actually. So um, February and March really picked up and April is looking like going to set another record. So, yeah, definitely the sun is out. Um, people are thinking about interesting stuff to put in the garage um, and drive around in the summer and uh, and it's back on again. But, yeah, definite you know, market correction in some areas of the classic market as well through the back part of last year and the first part of this year, which was pretty interesting to see. Um, but yeah, still healthy, still people out there, even if they're looking for more bargains in certain parts of the market. Um, I think we caught up um, a couple of weeks back, didn't we, on the phone? And I think it was then that we, we were just, some of the things that you mentioned, I thought it'd be really good to, to have a further chat about that on the podcast. And I think one of those you mentioned was the, was was that correction in, in classic car pricing. I think you said that it dropped quite drastically. Um do, do you know in terms of percentages, like what what sort of values these these cars have dropped, and and do you know why? Um, yeah, I do know in terms of percentages. You know, you know my background. I love a percentage. Of course, <laughs> I, love, I love I love a line graph. Um, I mean, the, the answer is it depends as ever um, on which bit of the market that you're looking at. So let's let's deal with the strong stuff first of all, I suppose. So young timers, so your hot hatches and things like that, th- things that you like uh, tucking away in your garage, James. Um, yeah still doing all right um and you know good low mileage um you know quality history um examples of that kind of stuff is doing really well um and you know you know i'm biased because you know i like my my uh my young timer classics as well but you know see so think like, I've, I've got an e38 in the garage that i love and use and um things like that are starting to creep up for kind of quality cars um, you know, not the ones that have been through many cycles of, of modification and lowering and rising again and things like that. Um, w- what's been cooling off? So like some of the 50s and 60s stuff, um, sometimes it's dropped, sometimes it's just kind of flatlined. But if you look at the fact that we're in an inflationary environment, so 10, 11%, whatever it is, inflation this year, um, effectively it's dropping in real terms. So stuff like db5s db6s you know they haven't really changed in real pound terms over the last couple of years arguably have dropped a little bit so in inflationary terms they are dropping um and as usual you know i waffle on about this bedroom wall effect but it's that kind of thing happening right it's the it's the fact that the stuff i well i'm weird because i had a 1920s bentley on my bedroom wall but most people have the cars of the era uh, on their bedroom wall, right? And when they come into some money in their 30s and 40s, they start buying them because that's what they dreamed of their dad buying or whatever. And um, and that drives prices up. And so, you know, that that effect has been and gone now for the 50s and 60s cars. And there's a bit of cooling happening there in the market. You know, other stuff, um, even into the 70s, so like Jensen Interceptors had this amazing kind of rise over the last three, four years. Um, and they're starting to cool, you know, you, were paying 80 90 grand for a really good restored one and probably closer to the 50 60k mark now um in terms of real market terms for them so it's it's never easy to give you a percentage to say that is the percentage that the market has risen or dropped because it it all depends as to what you're looking at um and as usual this market is is passion driven um and it it depends on what people none of the no, no one needs these cars per se right they're buying them because they loved them as a kid or they remember them or they saw them in that film um they saw someone that you, you know he's throwing them or whatever and um you know that that's what drives the market in this case but there's there's still good bits of it and there's still bits of it they're dropping a bit the uh there'll be a lot of people listening to this and who are sort of trying to predict what's next and i suppose you've probably got a, a great insight to that especially seeing that those people that who do buy now are those people in the 30s and 40s as you've described have got a bit of bit of cash what do you think's out there on the market now that people are going to want in the future what are those poster cars that people should tuck away 
the rules are always the same, right? So you need something. The reason that E38, let's talk about E38 again, um, haven't gone wild in terms of prices because there are lots of them. So the rules are it needs to be something that was kind of well-reviewed when it came out, quality car, good car, um, and there need to be not too many of them or not too many of them left in, in good nick. And that tends to drive price. And it needs to be at that kind of 20, 30-year-old point in age. So if you go through, you look at the the various websites to work out how many are left on the road, mm. um, and you know what were the reviews like when the cars come out. You can kind of work out what's coming next in terms of particular cars. I think the XJ220 has started. Um, oh, really? so a couple of years ago, that was three hundred ish, right? Compared to the Diablos of the time being a little bit more, and the Countach's being a bit more. And I think that started to go up now. You're probably looking at four, four fifty for them. Um, and they, they they have lagged behind the rest of their kind of supercar um, compatriots of the, of the time, right? So I, I think they're on the move. Um, what else? You know, all of the um, Fast and Furious 1 is 25 years old. Uh, I read the other day. 20 or 25, I can't remember. But old, um, which makes me feel very old. So basically, everything that was in that, um is now going pretty well from a pricing point of view because the kid kids now i'm showing my age remember that as kind of a modern classic film and so they're starting to buy the stuff that they saw in that film number one um so these are the things that drive classic car pricing right is that pop culture stuff that is making me feel very old um what did you think of that um that sierra cosworth that made six hundred and fifty thousand pounds i mean we, we've talked about that on the podcast and we've just aghast at quite how much money that made were you surprised or, or or did you see that coming no i didn't see that coming i'm pretty blown away by that really um yeah don't really understand it if i'm brutally, if I'm brutally honest um and yeah i don't don't know i don't know the buyer don't know where it went to but um doesn't seem rational from my, my standpoint um yeah, yeah I was, don't say we're getting that money back is what you're saying <laughs> uh, yeah i think that's what i'm saying yeah but best of luck to them though yeah and the um I read a read a very interesting interview with you uh, in the Times recently. Nice bit of publicity there. Um, and you talked a lot about how you've made this transition to to the auction world. Was I right in reading in that piece that you turned off the classified ads completely? Was that was that incorrect? No, uh, we, we turned off display ads. So Car and Classic display used ads. to be peppered with these annoying um, display ad units that would like we overused them on the site, right? Or they were overused on the site when we bought it. Um, and they were everywhere. You couldn't look at a listing without having kind of 10 ads shown to you. So that, that's the bit we turned off. Now, we haven't turned off classifieds. That's still still the biggest part of our business. 38,000 live on the site today, I think, um, compared to a few hundred auctions. I think we got two or 300 auctions live. So far and away, the biggest part of the business is the classifieds. The big bit that's changing in our classifieds is, you know, when we talked about this before, but my belief is auctions will never be hundred percent of the market they never even be 50 percent of the market right if you look at the the car market 20 years ago when it wasn't so much online there was a split between dealer which is the majority auctions and then peer-to-peer kind of private to private sales and i think that split will stay a, about equal even if more stuff is happening online so i don't think auctions are the answer to everything but what we've done with our classified products is we've made it transactable online. So within a week or so, every every single classified on Car and Classic will be offerable. So you can make an offer on anything on there and you can use our secure payment services to transact that thing online effectively without needing to go and see the vehicle. Um, sort of so buy now? Is that like a kind of buy, buy now? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like a buy now where you can make an offer exactly, yeah. 
Amazing. I and I'm yeah. I used um, I used your site to sell my car, and I was really really impressed with it. I'm not just saying that because you're on. It was a it was a fantastic service, and I can see why why it's, why it's popular. You, the 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 auction platform you're rolling out across Europe as well. Am I right? Yeah. So we um we we already kind of have. So we've got um probably thirty percent of our auction business now is is European to seventy percent UK. So st- still. You know, a big player in the UK market, but with loads of growth in France and Italy. Um, some exciting news around France that I can share as well, if you like. Um, but yeah, we, we 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 see the um, yeah we see Europe as we 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 really want to dominate Europe. You know, we 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 always have been the biggest kind of classified marketplace in the UK with the biggest kind of by volume and number of cars on sale across all of Europe now. Yeah, and the big exciting news is last year we bought a business called Les Anciennes, so that's the car and classic, if you like, of France. So it's the biggest uh, classic car classified site in, in France. And later today, uh, our auctions will launch on there. Um, so we're, we're pushing across all of our kind of European auctions onto that site as well. So um, really, you know, I'm lots of businesses are trying to go out to the US uh, at the moment, and that's a popular thing for businesses to do. I'm really interested in owning Europe um, and making sure we're the best place to transact classic car across all of Europe with the best choice. And I, I was listening to last week's podcast that uh, John and Bax were, were on chatting to, to Car Vertical and a lot of uh, that European market, market for used cars came up and they were mm-hmm. talking about how these, the European used car market is, moves very, very rapidly between countries. So I suppose that must be the same for, for, for the classic car market. It must make it mean it's a much bigger market than the UK, which is obviously got the steering wheel on the wrong side. Yeah, I mean, look, the UK is a beast right of a market for, 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 yeah, the correct side. Uh, the um, for, for, for classic cars, for all, for all cars, right? We're a, we're a massive car buying um, audience in the UK. But yeah, if you can if you can properly enable cross border across Europe, it's a really exciting market. And there are there's lots of arbitrage opportunities, right? There's lots of price differences within different markets in Europe. So Italy's always kind of been known as a a seller country. You know, you can buy your Fit Five Hundred cheaper. In your Spiagina or whatever in, in in Italy, and then bring it up to London and sell it there. Um, uh, Poland's a really interesting market at the moment. So lots of cars, lots of supply coming from Poland and getting sold in the rest of Europe. So obviously, it is slightly easier to transact across border within Europe. That said, actually, kind of post Brexit and a couple of years down the track now, we've all worked out quite a lot you know, around how to move cars across the channel. So it's nowhere near the um, the hurdle that it was, and we see a lot of our UK cars sell to Europe and vice versa. Um, because now the customs process is understood. There is VAT to pay, but if it's an older vehicle and you're importing it into France, it's only 5% VAT. So it's not a, you know, it's not a crazy um, prohibitive kind of rate to be able to move vehicles across the channel. And we are seeing that happening more and more now. And um, I wouldn't be doing my job properly if I didn't ask you about your other form of business. I mean, Kazana, a lot of people will, will will know you from. That was a business that you you sold on to Kazoo, which we talk about a lot on the podcast, and we haven't done Kazoo, for a month. Kazoo. Rings Rings about. Bells. Rings Where's about. that? Excellent. Um, they recently sold that business that you sold to them on again. Were you shocked when they made that announcement? Um, a, a little bit, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, look, it's it's nice to see the business go on living, if you like, and continuing to provide value to its customers. Obviously, I don't think it's any secret that they, they kind of stopped providing that um, service, sadly, to the dealer customers, but the insurance and lending space have carried on using it, love the product. So in its new home, that's going to carry on, which is great. And arguably, it's going to get more focus, right? Because 
being a full stack car retailer, that was one of the things that they had as an enabler, as opposed to a, um, you know, one of their, they were not trying as a core business to make money from data, right? They were trying as a core business to retail cars. Um, they are still try, trying as a business to retail cars. So um, yeah, we, in a, in, a, in a way, it's nice to see it go on and have another life within that, within that new owner company. Were you not tempted to take back the reins of the company that you started? I couldn't possibly comment on that, James. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm mean, looking back at looking back at a business that you that you built it must be must be sometimes difficult to see it in other people's hands. But I won't press you further on that one. No, it's fine. But the, the good news is a lot of the technology and a lot of the team um, are still gainfully employed there and doing great stuff, which is lovely to see. And you've now got a lot of time for current classic. That's it, which is yeah. The the as you as you can tell from the the wall, you know the the, the passion at the end of the day. So, yeah. Excellent. Well, thank you for that. John, shall we continue with our quiz? Yes. Uh, so if you haven't listened before, James and I have chosen our favourite stories from the car dealer website this week. We don't know what each other has chosen, and we're going to have a chat about each story as we go through. At the end, Tom gets to decide whose stories were the best and who is the winner. If you want to play along, you can tweet at car dealer mag uh, and let us know if you think we've missed anything. I was the winner last week, um, so I'm going to go first, which is great news because there's a lot of stories to get through, and at least I can pounce on this particular one. Um, so I'm going to start with Jaguar Land Rover. Are you? Um, what a surprise. Yeah, so there's quite a lot here. Um, they have finished reimagining their brand, and they're now ready to tell the world what exactly is is coming down the line. I think particularly for Jaguar, this was a bit of a mystery as to what actually was going to happen. So the facts are as follows. Investment of £15 billion over five years in their industrial footprint, which means factories and so on. Uh, so the Halewood plant, which is up near Liverpool somewhere, uh, is becoming all electric. So the place, the Discovery Sport and the Evoke uh, is being made is going to be all electric, which presumably means the Evoke and the Discovery Sport from the next generation will be all electric as well. They've got an engine plant in Wolverhampton, which is quite new, actually. That's going to soon be the Electric Propulsion Manufacturing Centre, which is to say it will now make electric motors, presumably, rather than petrol ones. Uh, the next medium-sized SUV architecture, which is what you'd get under your uh, F-Pace, which presumably is dying off, and the Velar is going to be pure electric, so effectively in the next Velar that comes along, no petrol version of that. All electric Range Rover, going to start being uh, orders open later this year. That is, as far as we understand it, the same platform as the current Range Rover, but with a battery under the floor. Um, Jaguar, slightly more importantly, is the news um, that there's three reimagined cars coming. Modern luxury electric is how they're being described. Um, the first of which will be a four-door Grand Tourer, um, which is being built in Solihull, oddly not in uh, Castle Bromwich, which I think is their traditional home, isn't it, Jaguar? or their current home. Um, so a lot going on there. And then there's a bit more. So <laughs> buried in this kind of information is the suggestion, we can't quite work out because they are not really saying one way or the other, but the suggestion that as part of the reimagining, firstly, Jaguar Land Rover will stop being called Jaguar Land Rover as far as they are concerned. They will refer to it as JLR, which we've been doing anyway because Jaguar Land Rover is a mouthful. But that's Jaguar Land Rover as a brand name will die off as the company name. Secondly, there's a suggestion that Land Rover as a brand name will also die. And what you will get is Jaguar, D 
Defender, Discovery, and Range Rover. So you've got four main brands is what uh, the plan is from here on out. And they're describing this as a house of brands. So Jerry McGovern, Professor, Dr. OBE, uh, likes to describe, likes to liken this situation to sort of Italian fashion uh, conglomerates. So the one that he, he points out is... I think it's called LMVH, which is the company that owns Louis Vuitton and Kenzo and all these sorts of other brands. Um, he points out that when you buy something from Louis Vuitton, you don't actually know who on earth LMVH are and you don't have this association with them. And he thinks Jaguar Land Rover is like LMVH in that it's just the owner of these particular brands. So they want to go through with these four individual ones. And I think the idea is that someone that buys a Discovery will be very different to someone that buys a Range Rover which will be very different to someone that buys, buys a Defender or a Jaguar. Um, I don't really think that's the case. It certainly isn't the case at the minute. I think people are quite... Uh, I don't think there's enough differentiation between those three product lines within what is now Land Rover. You know, to take his particular analogy there, if you look at the company that owns Louis Vuitton and all these other uh, brands, you're... <laughs> If you're going shopping for a Louis Vuitton thing, you don't expect to see it sold in the Louis Vuitton shop alongside a pair of Birkenstocks, which the company also owns. So the, you kind of need to, you know, all these places have their own, own individual values and own individual stores. They're also, they, they didn't come from the same place in the first place, did they? You know, it's, they tend to be a designer started off, another designer started off and a holding company bought them because that's the way that corporations work but they've kept them very separate and very distinctive. And I don't think that works in the same way for something like Land Rover. The other part of it is ditching the Land Rover name. Lots of people have a bit of a problem with it because Land Rover obviously is a very, very strong brand. Okay, there's some hints of reliability issues, but people buy them regardless of that. And I think people jump between the model lines as well. You know, there's, there's a lot of people that have, previously owned discovery fours and discovery threes have jumped to defenders for example um and also with all these kind of new entrants to the market new brands surely mm. having a historic brand like that is quite a valuable thing what? so a lot of comments from people in the industry saying well it varies from i'm very sad about this to this is total madness um and there's quite a few people like mike brewer and Steve Fowler and Jim Holder edit Autocar and Auto Express, um, giving their opinions on these things. I think it's going to depend how this is all managed, but at the minute, I can't quite see how that's going to work. So I'm going to give you my JLR. I'm going to give you my take on this, John. Uh, mm. I've been trying to bite my tongue, but uh, I'm just not going to uh, not going to do that any longer. I think this is utter utter madness um i wrote that story yesterday the this land rover story and i spoke to those people and those are the quotes that i could actually use i actually <laughs> heard some of the expletives that came out of in particular mike brewer's mouth when i actually when i broke the news to him yesterday that the land rover name was being killed off he was absolutely disgusted i've had two phone calls this morning from land rover dealers 
there is apparently a Land Rover meeting tonight uh, for all of the uh, all of the dealers. They're getting together. It was something that was uh, pre-scheduled, uh, but I'm sure this will be an absolute hot topic at that event. Uh, and one of them said to me, I'm just going to I'm not going to name him, but I'll just read you some of the quotes that he gave me this, this morning. He said, this is absolute madness. He said, if you remember, Royal Mail tried to change their name a few years back to Consignia, and that very rapidly changed back to Royal Mail. He says this brand name is something that people will kill for. He said the Queen drove one. It wasn't just a it wasn't just a new uh, Land Rover. It was a battered old one that she absolutely loved. It had a royal warrant. He said. Mm. Uh, he said there are brands out there that are entering this market that would absolutely die for the publicity that that brand, the Land Rover name has. He says it's like Hoover, he described it to me. He said it's like Coca-Cola. People say, I'm going to do the Hoovering. I'm going to go and I would like a Coke, even if they mean a, even if they mean a Pepsi. He said people will turn up in a four by four. And if they don't know anything about cars, they'll say, oh, look at that person driving in in their in their Land Rover. It's described, it's a name that's synonymous with four-wheel drives. And to just kill it off, and in the way that they have done, I think is absolute madness. I mean, this news was buried in that press release, and it's only when you actually read their comment where they say, as a house of brands, Range Rover Defender, Discovery and Jaguar now step forward as our individual marks. It was only the fact that they didn't mention Land Rover in that, that people went, hang on a minute, Where's Land Rover fitting into all this? And when people started asking questions, they had to admit that it doesn't really fit into it. Um, they gave us a comment after this story was this broke yesterday and it was in made headlines in the Daily Mail and the Times, and we obviously we obviously ran it. Uh, and they came back to it and came back to us and said they want to reassure clients that Land Rover will remain the trust mark that underpins their world leading capability offered across across the Range Rover Defender and Discovery vehicles. Uh, they said they're not losing the Land Rover name. Its spirit is and will continue to be a crucial part of our DNA. So what they're basically saying is we are losing the Land Rover name. It will just be still be it still be involved in the business in some way. They're going to put some badge in, I hear, on some of the cars internally. It's just not going to be the brand name that's that this that these cars are known by. I think it's it's bonkers. It's absolutely bonkers. And why would you? ditch 75 years worth of history that you've worked so hard on i mean look at we've mentioned kazoo already but look what alex chessman has had to spend building a brand like kazoo billions of millions and millions of money on marketing to build that kazoo brand name land rover's already got that and they're just going to let it drift away into nothingness i think it's bonkers tom what do you think i mean I'm, i know i'm sure Sure, you're, got, a, you're a Land Rover fan. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I mean, I've got, yeah, I've got some. Um, I, um, I think it's got McKinsey presentation all over it. You know, I think some management consultant has turned up and has said, "Well, look, this uh, is it." Bernard, the bloke that runs uh, Bernard, I know, runs LVMH. Yes, that's it. He's the richest man in the world. You could do that too. He's got <laughs> a, an abbreviated name for his company. Uh, and he's got all these brands underneath it, and I suspect it looked great on a PowerPoint. But when you consider the reality of this, it is a bit of an error. I do think there is an argument that Range Rover is a, you know, that is a very well-known thing, right? Yeah. And a, a very well-known model line, if you like. And making more of that as its own thing wouldn't 
I, I, you know, I disagree with the way this has been done, but that, that wouldn't be a terrible idea. But I'm with you. The rest of the brands don't carry enough weight on their own. And there's, all, you know, as a man that struggles every day with classic car taxonomy, there's always been that, do you search for a Range Rover or do you search for a Land Rover Range Rover, right? Like yeah. Range Rover is almost as as prevalent as a Land Rover brand. So I think you could do something around that. And that is a car that makes them, as you know, an awful lot of cash. But yeah, I, I, I agree. This is a mistake. Whereas Defender that... has existed since about 1980 something, hasn't it? And Discovery's late 80s. They're not actually that old in the grand scheme. Right. Yeah. But why, why kill the why kill the name off? I mean, I, if if it was me, I would. I, I absolutely agree with you on Range Rover. Calling it a Land Rover, Range Rover, SV autobiography is a complete mouthful and madness. Nobody nobody says they own a Land Rover, Range Rover. Nobody because it doesn't even say it on the car, does it? On the back it says Range Rover, but. Yeah. I mean, hive that off into its own brand. Yes, I get that. But still stick with the name Land Rover Defender, Land Rover Discovery. I mean, it works. I mean, why not just have three brands? Mm. They're making a house of brands. Why not stick with one that they've invested so much time, money and effort into building into the consciousness of every car buyer out there? I just I, I would be very surprised if this isn't undone. I think I to jump in as well, I think. As you said there, um, Range Rover is quite happily its own brand and they've positioned it as that for quite some time now. You know, as soon as if you think about their sort of pre-reimagining, uh, when the Evoke came out and all that sort of stuff, there were more Range Rovers than there were. They've always been generally more Range Rovers than there were Defenders or Discoveries, weren't there? There's three range four Range Rover models, there's two Discovery models, I'm quoting in the air, and one Defender effectively in different body styles. So that that's always been there but you're right the i my problem with the defender and discovery existing on their own is i don't think those two brands are strong enough they're not distance apart from each other maybe in the 1980s a discovery was quite different or the 1990s a discovery was very different from a defender the defender was here is your really uh tough as old boots uh thing with not much interior comfort um and the discovery was the kind of modern interpretation of an SUV. They're both now modern interpretations of an SUV. This, I don't oh, yeah. understand what the difference between a discovery and a defender is going to be. Apart and, from the defender is a bit square. And John, if you speak to dealers, they they say that all defenders done is cannibalise all of those buyers mm. from from discovery. They're all they're not buying discoveries. They're buying oh yeah. Discoveries. And if if you made a downsized version of the defender, I reckon that would cannibalise the discovery sport sales as well. Yeah. Because people like things that are square and look chunky like that don't they well, it's also more useful you know the new defender you can i think fit a pallet in the back of it still and stuff like that whereas a new discovery you can't so that mm. was always going to happen for people that want you know as, as a discovery four driver that i was going about you know it's a really really useful car to two washing machines in the back all that good stuff whereas the yeah. new one i think you can so yeah. defender is already cannibalized from discovery so yeah those as you say those two brands aren't concrete enough because they keep changing what they mean mm. um, whereas range rover has been consistent throughout it so. I will. I'll leave a parting thought on this, which is the other. The other element of this is Jaguar Land Rover being turned into JLR, which of course it sort of already is. I saw an interesting tweet from uh, Richard Porter, who is on Twitter as Sniff Petrol, and of course is the script editor for was the script editor for Top Gear and so on. And it's an extract from Sir Michael Edwards's book, who I believe was you know part of British Leyland as it was in the day. And I'll I'll quote a bit of it. 
And it was, it was at this time that we decided to rename the company and to bury British Leyland Limited. The company needed silence while it gathered strength and got its house in order. So long as we were British Leyland, the media would focus on the total business. The good things going on would not emerge while, you know, the press would attack the whole business. The only way to do this seemed to be to provide a holding company with a low profile, uninteresting title. So BL was born. So mm. I think, is there an element of people talking about Jaguar Land Rover? It starts with Jaguar, that name, the most unsuccessful part of that brand. Mm. Is there an element of trying to distance themselves from that? We'll be right back. You want the best return from your advertising budget and CarGuru's Piston Heads are focused on the same goal. With them, you have access to millions of monthly shoppers across both sites. Connect with in-market, high-quality buyers today and turbocharge your digital forecourt. For more information, visit dealerpackages.cargurus.co.uk and schedule a demo with their team. That's dealerpackages.cargurus.co.uk and tell them we sent you. Now, let's get back to the quiz. Right, I will move us on to another story which features Land Rover, um, and that is news uh, about the longest lead times that buyers have to wait uh, for a new car. This has been something that has been dominating our headlines over the last few years. It's been something that's been keeping used car prices up, um, and it's something that has actually been helping helping car dealers make more profit as people have been lining up to buy these cars. They're paying for these cars full up. So, but which manufacturer is the one that you'd wait the most for? Well, unsurprisingly, it's Land Rover. Uh, this is a research by Wagonex, which are a car subscription firm, and they called 21 dealers uh, at the end of March, and they asked them from different brands, um, and they asked them what their lead times were if they ordered a new car. Range Rover Sport and Land Rover Discovery models, they were quoted two-year waits, which I thought was quite shocking, to be honest with you. Um, there were a number of um, other brands that had long uh, lead times. Um, none of them as, as long as those two years, but Audi, Maserati and Jaguar were all up to 12 months. Nissan and Porsche were up to 10 months. Mercedes, DS, Polestar and Vauxhall were the rest of them in the top 10, all up to nine months. Um so we spoke to we spoke to Land Rover about this um, and asked them to to give us a quote. And because I was quite surprised whether it was a two year wait, I didn't really believe the research, if I'm honest. Uh, so I wanted to hear what Land Rover said, and they didn't deny it. Actually, they uh, just thanked their clients for their patience in waiting for delivery of their new cars, which I thought was quite telling. Um, they said they've been working hard on this chip shortage that has caused them problems. And Jim Holder told us in uh, in in a comment that actually he knows that JLR have have worked really hard on on finding new supplies for for these sem semiconductor chips that were holding things up. Things are getting better, but I thought it was interesting that there are still those those delays. What do you think, John? Were you surprised that those the fact that you'd have to wait two years for Land Rover? I'm not surprised that Land Rover is the top. I'm sort of a, I'm a bit surprised that it's still two years. I thought things had moved on a little bit. Mm. Um, I mean, I I'm not surprised in general. You know the other the other vehicles vehicles manufacturers in this list. Second is Audi, which the wait is up to twelve months. I mean, we're always being told that VW Group still have kind of, or I, my understanding is that VW Group are still having issues with delays. Whether it's uh, to do with um, you know fallout from Ukraine or whether uh, there's other stuff going on, I don't know. Maserati. I mean, up to twelve months for Maserati. I kind of don't think Maserati get cars very quickly to you anyway. It's that kind of brand. 
uh jaguar 12 months i don't know if are they actually making any jaguars at the minute they weren't weren't making the saloons the last time i thought about it uh nissan porsche mercedes ds polestar Vauxhall. these are quite a wide range of cars aren't they it's not just the premium stuff i mean if you're waiting nine months for a Vauxhall, that's quite a long time to wait for something like a Corsa, isn't it yeah i was a I took the research with a little bit of pinch of salt, if I'm honest. I mean, I thought mm-hmm. that the Nissan one was was quite surprising in fifth, up to ten months, because they've been the best selling best selling brand, haven't they, since the start of the year with with yeah. both Qashqai and Duke. So I suppose it depends on the particular Nissan. This is the thing. I think the, the I don't want to say the important ones, but the Leaf and the um, Duke and Qashqai are all made here, aren't they? I don't think those are going to take very long to get to customers. It's probably more like if you want an Aria. Because it's three months to ship it from Japan anyway, probably. Um, so, I can sort of see that's a very popular car, and it's probably it's in its infancy in terms of technology, isn't it? So the supply chains probably aren't quite there for it yet. Um, it leads me on to the question of how long are people going to wait? You know, I mean, how long are people prepared to wait? I mean, we've talked about this in the past, and there has been some research, but you've been out car shopping this week. I mean, would your mum have waited two years for her next new car? No, she didn't want to wait six months, mm. which was so what, what we did- thought it would be. Did that lead to the decision making of where you ended up? Uh, no, it actually no. It, it came down to which one she liked the most. That was the thing. But it, it came. It was the decision making on that front was more: do we pay over the odds for? I don't want to say over the odds, but do we pay list price for one that's sat in a showroom somewhere waiting to be registered? Of which there are not many garrises waiting to be registered sat in showrooms. Um, and I think her understanding, having bought cars like this before she's always bought new cars or pre-reg her understanding is that there will be just some somewhere in the country mm. to be sourced that's obviously not how toyota work toyota everything seems to be order to yeah order from the factory sort of thing whereas if she wanted a fiesta which they try and encourage her into you can see on the web on the ford website there's 300 of them sat there just automatics um waiting to find a new home and you can have it in a couple of weeks so I, I can see probably if, yeah, probably if it was between two cars, that would have been a deciding factor. Right. Yeah. Um, but it, yeah, it's, it does, it does have a, a contribution to decisions you make as to whether you're going to, you know, like if you think about her, she doesn't, she's not the kind of person that wants to go halfway around the country looking for a particular car. I was trying to encourage her to do that, but that's not really her thing. She wants to go to the one five miles away and buy it from a man there. And if he, if the man in the Toyota dealer couldn't get one until October, she would have just left that and either gone somewhere else to a different dealer where there was a used one or gone to Ford and bought a Fiesta. That would have been what happens, which doesn't compute in my brain. I'm kind of like, I want, if I've decided I want that particular car, I want that particular car and I will wait or whatever. But I yeah, some, it was a great example. Of, yes, it does actually have an effect. Yeah. Tom, do you think people are happy to wait up to two years for a new car? No. Um, yeah, I've got, I've got two thoughts on this. I think there's 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 a real challenge for the dealers because you're basically just incentivized to pre-reg more stuff, aren't you? You just, you, you know that I, I'm a very impatient person and I suspect I'm not that unusual around this stuff. Um, and, you know, you, what, is a, what is a model life cycle these days? Three years with a life cycle impulse in the middle. So you're buying something knowing that there's going to be a better one by the time that arrives. That feels mm. like a big stretch um to ask for so i think there's a real challenge for dealers and i presume knowing this they must be going and and ordering loads of stuff on spec and just trying to get it in so they can fulfill that um 
you know, that customer immediacy and needs. Um, I think the other thing is I feel pretty sorry for JLR. You know, it's always been challenging for them because they're, even with Jaguar, they're a relatively small manufacturer in the scheme of things, right? So if you're a, if you're a big chip manufacturer, if you're Bosch or whatever, you know, tier one, you're, you're um, tier whatever they are, uh, you're, you know, you're doling your bits out to the people that are going to pay the most for it and are the most valuable accounts, right? So JLR always trying to improve profit margins. So they're trying to cost reduce stuff. So you're trying to buy stuff more cheaply, but also you're relatively low volume in the scheme of things compared to VW and Porsche and all these other guys. And it's all the same, well, not all the same, but lots of the components are similar, right? And so you're, you're fairly far down that list. So they're between a rock and a hard place there because they haven't really got the buying power to be able to demand the stuff faster um, without putting their prices up, which yeah. is, which is so I do, I do feel, you know, that is the challenge of being a, you know, they're, they're not a small manufacturer, but in this relatively in the scheme of things, they are, you know, they're a relatively small manufacturer. And um, that means this is super tough for them. Um, so I do feel a bit bad. I don't, don't really know how you can crack that. Mm. John, that's my one over to you. Uh, okay, I'm going to move on to um, exactly the same topic, uh, which is delays for getting new cars. So um, this is another one of your stories, funny enough. Thank you for writing it for me. Thank you for picking it. Um, and this is news that, <laughs> well, dealers, dealers have complained to us that new VW, Audi and Porsche cars are stuck in a huge German port backlog. Um, this is the port of Emden. Uh, which is, I, I don't really know where it is. I don't North know if it's a tourist destination particularly. North north coast of Germany. North coast of Germany. Lovely. Yeah. Um, well, thousands of cars are supposedly stuck there. Um, it's something like there's us usually about 6,000 cars sitting at this particular port, which I don't think is unusual if you think about the number of cars that fit onto a car transporter. But at the minute, there's something like four times that amount waiting to leave this particular port. Um, that is having quite a knock-on effect because obviously there's not any more shipping demand than is usual. Uh, sorry, not any more ships coming there than is usual. So a lot of these cars were due to be on ships and are not on ships. Uh, one particular issue is that because of the way that this is filled up, the car parks there are filled up. Cars that got there first are not necessarily leaving first. So cars that should have been shipped out are now wedged in by all this other stuff so there's some quite uh, unhappy customers expecting their golfs and Taycans and all sorts of things to have turned up by now. And dealers are having to say, uh, I'm really sorry, it's uh, wedged in in a car park in Germany and not on the ship. Um, so this is proving to be a slight problem. There's, there's not really any particular understanding of why um, this is happening. There's some rumours that, VW Group hasn't bid enough for the transport boats. Mm. You know, they're not paying enough money for the boats. Um, so they've gone to other, I don't know, other customers, I suppose. Um, some, you know, I think we've had a couple of quotes that say that's probably not the case. It's probably just a knock-on issue with, ugh, there's a million different transport issues going on, you know, even stupid things like how much water is in the Rhine. Um, there's yeah. bizarre climate change as issues as well as um 
general I'm supply so, chain issues. I'm sort of inclined to believe, John, though, in some ways that that rumour about the shipping, because a lot of other manufacturers' cars come out of Emden, and we haven't heard of similar problems with the likes of BMW and others. So mm. there, there's clearly some cars getting out of that port. Um, I just wonder whether it's the Volkswagen Group ones that are, that are clogged up entirely. Maybe, maybe. Mm. Well, either way, it's not particularly good news. Um, this this is only one part of the story, of course, because other manufacturers are still having problems, not necessarily with getting cars to the UK, but getting them from the ports when they arrive in the UK. So uh, a dealer I spoke to um, <laughs> in our car shopping experience was telling me that they're not really having issues getting them from the ports, but they have noticed a difference in the number of drivers. So, for example, the, the thing they've noticed is that whereas once upon a time, to uh, shift used cars to auctions and so on. BCA would turn up with a transporter and, you know, they'd load it on and then it would go off to another dealership and they'd collect another car and so on. That's the traditional way we're used to these things happening. What they've noticed more and more is that they're sending actual physical drivers there on the train. A man walks up and drives the car away sort of thing. So there is definitely a... There's less lorry drivers going around, I think, is is the thing that's been noticed. I don't think it's that particular manufacturer wasn't having a problem getting things from the ports, but I know a lot of them are. The um, I think the Stellantis stuff that we reported before where they were having to, dealers were forcing customers to register their cars while they were still stuck in ports. Mm. What I understand hasn't got much better from when we first reported in December. So I don't mm. think that problem is easy. I think people are still struggling to get these cars, well, obviously across the across the channel, but also distributed from those from those ports. But well, I can't say I'm surprised because I don't think any more lorry drivers have magically appeared in the last no. three months. But the demand's gone through the roof, right? You've got a, what's happened kind of post COVID. If you think about five years ago, on a dealer's website, you would see the stock location and you would buy stock from that location. Pretty much now across every, certainly large dealer group site, location isn't even mentioned, right? You can buy a car from anywhere in the UK. And so what that means is that kind of single car transport demand has gone through the roof because they're needing to move these things around all the time. And I suspect the supply hasn't increased much. The number of people willing to do that job, the driving job or the or towing it or trucking it in bulk hasn't gone up. So I suspect that's a big constraint as well, just because consumers are now given choice from everywhere, aren't they? Yeah. Right, that was one of mine, John, but I have got another one on my list. So we'll move us on. Um, and this is news from Shanghai, uh, the uh, Shanghai Auto Show, which was packed with news of new cars. I'm going to focus on one in particular, but first, a very quick aside. Um, did you see that the Polestar 4 was released at, um, at Shanghai? And it's a car that does not have a rear window. Yeah, I um, I can't really work out why either, because I, I don't think that's of any benefit. They've clearly Did driven they... a panel van and thought, I know what we need to do is, it's annoying having a rear view mirror, isn't it? So what we need to do is just put a, a big panel behind us so we can't see what's going on. They're replacing it with a camera. And if you've driven any car recently that's got a camera instead of a mirror, mm. uh, you will know it makes you feel incredibly sick. <laughs> It doesn't make me feel incredibly sick, but it makes me very annoyed when I don't know it rains and then you can't see out of the camera. <laughs> that that's a slight problem that we haven't yet solved. Um, but aside from that, I think there's also, you know, as you say, there are cars, there are vehicles driving around the roads every single day that do not have rear windows. Um, 
from the point of view of looking out the back i don't think that's a major thing mm-hmm. it's not great but no. if there's a reason for it okay you know most supercars you can't look out the back of them can you that sort of thing is not that unusual but if you it's a it's quite a large um i'm just going to scroll down to the picture of it it's quite a large vehicle yeah. uh, presumably it's four door you would like to have passengers in the back do you think they might benefit from a bit of light yes uh, you know like we, the amount people spend on things like panoramic uh roofs and that sort of thing why i'm going to get into a pole star and it feels like i'm in a coffin yeah I don't, I, I don't quite understand why they've done that uh, no, but it's, it's very odd i wonder if they just ran out of design ideas and thought oh that's a good idea let's do that also i noticed it's still got when you look at the back of it it's still got the shape of a real window <laughs> made of metal yeah it's not like it's any change to the design whatsoever no i i very odd. I think it's madness. That is not the point of my story, though. Uh, but I will have one final tangent before I get on to the point of my story. And that is, did you see pictures of the Lexus LM? I'm glad you mentioned this. So you're going to get very consumed. You're going to get very consumed about the grill, I imagine. Which What? what? It, it currently looks like a basking shark, doesn't it? I mean, it is uh, unbelievably massive. Definitely a bottom feeder, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> definitely a bottom I feeder. think it looks a bit like my Vax carpet cleaner, to be honest, with the big thing on the front that sucks up all the excess moisture. Um, I, just... I, will look at, I will overlook the look of it for now because I find it quite interesting because this is based on the Toyota Alphard, which is a massive uh, posh MPV, which you have has been available in Japan and I think Hong Kong, places like that, for many a year. Uh, obviously, the Chinese market love them as well because the Chinese market loves something with long uh, comfy seats in the back and big leg room. That's what yeah. they're obsessed with, isn't it? You know, yeah. you get stretched Audi A3s, even bizarre yeah. sort of uh, market for that sort of thing. But this is the first time it's come to Europe. And I think that is quite a good thing because if you, I don't, well, there's quite a lot of imported Alphards and whatever they are, Velfires is the other Toyota that they make. Um, and there's not much choice in this kind of posh MPV market. And there's certainly decreasing choice in it now. You know, cars like the Ford Galaxy, are, well, it's not even a posh MPV, but cars like that are being killed off, aren't they? Uh, there's not a lot of choice apart from a V-Class and a multi no. or something now. Uh, so and a bit more choice if, in this market is not a bad thing. But if you chose the Lexus LM, you are quite literally a lunatic. But uh, <laughs> I'm going to move on to uh, my point of the story, and that is that MG are bringing back a sports car called the Cyberster. Cyberster? Mm. Cyberster. Yeah. I don't know how to say it. There's a slight sure issue something. with the name, isn't there? I mean, there is, yeah. I mean, I kept on thinking I'd spelt it wrong because it looks so strange. But this is going to be an electric-powered uh, sports car. It's a uh, convertible. Um, and it's the first one they've made in more than a decade before they uh, obviously used to do the MGTF. Um, so this comes from the Chinese-owned uh, Chinese brand. It was unveiled at Shanghai and it has a 309 brake horsepower single motor setup or a 536 brake horsepower twin motor option. I think it looks pretty cool, actually. Um, and mm. we look back to it as part of this story to our car dealer live uh, conference where we had guy piganakis who is the uh, uk commercial director uh, for mg and he said uh, when we were chatting about agency sales that they might actually think about selling these cars in a slightly different way uh, when they come to come to sell those sports cars he uh, was very, very against agency sales and called it a, a, a land grab. But when we started talking about the uh, forthcoming sports car, he said he might sell it slightly different 
slightly differently in more of a Polestar way. And I think the Polestar way is you can buy them online, but you can also order them in a dealership. So it's a sort of sort of dual way of doing these doing these sorts of deals. But I just I picked this story because I think the car looks actually quite good. Um, I, I like I like what MG have done over the last couple of years. They've built a dealership network of 155 in the UK. They're doing it in a traditional fashion. They're having huge success with the the MG4. They're having huge success with electric cars. And it's nice to see someone do a what we hope will be an affordable affordable electric car. Yeah, I'm not so sure about that. <laughs> what you don't think it's going to be affordable? No. Uh, because I think if you look quite closely at it, it's got a very posh interior. It's actually quite a bit bigger than you might think it is. I think this is sort of like F-Pace, not F-Pace, F-Type or a bit bigger size. It's certainly F-Type and 911 weight. It's something yeah, like... I think someone described it as SL-sized. Yeah, probably. I mean, it's close to two tonnes, I think, although we haven't had the official confirmation of that. It's just that what's been leaked by the, ironically, by a patent office in China. Um so I think it's going to be quite a big, chunky thing, which is fine because, you know, it has to have a big battery under the boot, doesn't it, under the floor. Um, so it's going to weigh quite a lot anyway. I think interesting thing about this is it's got scissor doors, which is very, yes. yeah. I mean, that came out of nowhere, didn't it? Yeah. Well, the prototype looks very cool from 2021 at the Shanghai Show in 2021. This is a classic case of the prototype looking absolutely incredible and they've kept like one bit from it. Um, but no, I agree. It's, it's not a terrible looking car, is it? But no. the prototype is seriously cool looking. Tom, what do you think of um, of, of the MG brand? I mean, clearly it's got fantastic classic um, heritage and it's really helped, hasn't it? The uh, That brand establish itself in, 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 with a new market in, in the UK. Yeah, I mean, I've got to say at the beginning, I was pretty grumpy about it. I've never yeah. been a classic MG fan really either, personally, but obviously we've got lots of them on sale. Um, I was a bit grumpy at the beginning because the product quality was pretty poor, wasn't it, on the first new ones that they brought out. Mm. And it, it just feel like cannibalizing an old brand and, you know, using that. But to be fair, as you say, they've, they've pulled the socks up on product quality. There's a lot of them about now. Arguably, yeah, the four has got a comparable to... So almost cash by esque, isn't it? I suppose in terms of you know build quality and drivability and all that kind of stuff. So it's um, you know fair play to them. They've they've kind of they've used the band brand to get them started. But I think if they were making rubbish cars, they wouldn't have got to where they got to. So um, yeah, I, uh, I I've I've got time for it. Um, but yeah, very very different to the <laughs> the older ones, obviously. It says a lot about brand names, doesn't it? Going back to our points about Land Rover, I mean, this is a Chinese firm that has bought an old British brand because they know that it has the connotations it has and the, the resonance it has with car buyers works and, and it's going to help them be successful. Uh, yeah, I've, Less said I about find, the Land Rover thing than better. <laughs> I mean, I, I find the MG brand thing quite confusing because I think um, – I'm a bit cynical about it and I don't really think anything that they sell at the minute is anything like what MG used to make. And I don't think it's the same customer base. I think maybe you'll get a few who wander in because they used to have an MG once upon a time, but I don't think anyone's going to sit in a an MG ZS EV or even MG4 and think, oh yeah, this is just like the, the MGF or the MG Maestro Turbo or anything like that. Like, I think there's a, I don't think there's any, uh, relation really between what MG used to because MG used to be like AMG didn't it really it was a sort of like that's how it started was it a tuning thing for Morris's effectively Morris garages isn't it the kind of um, 
And it the really early, well, like the Magna and stuff, were proper sports cars. You know, they were they were quick and expensive. But I think they became they quite quickly became for the masses, right? They were they were not as exclusive as like the 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 some of the, you know, the, the Bentley and the Alvis kind of older older brands, the mm. Rileys. But um, you know, I, I would argue that the MGB kind of era that was the sports car for the masses, and they are now making cars for the masses. So um, be be super interesting to see what the price on this one is, wouldn't it? Because that will. Yeah. That will tell you which direction they're trying to go in. Yeah, definitely. Right, John, over to you. Okay, I'll try and squeeze in one more. Uh, I've got a choice of two slightly more whimsical stories. Um, I'm going to bypass the one about M- uh, Mini not serving ice cream properly at the Shanghai Motor Show, which is a slightly strange PR nightmare that they're going through at the minute. Yeah. Um, and I'm going to, there's not much to talk about this particular story, but I just think it's, uh, an amusing example of what can go wrong with customer service and it's a car dealership in california uh, oh, yes. <laughs> um and it's two managers allegedly coming to blows quite literally uh in the middle of the showroom on easter sunday while customers watch so there's an enormous fight uh happens in this toyota dealership um apparently it's the second fight within 30 minutes so obviously quite a lot going on that day, uh, but just a fantastic example of what, how not to display things in front of customers when there are slight disagreements with things. Well, uh, especially considering one of the customers is the person who actually recorded the fight and uploaded it to uh, to Twitter. Yeah, um, and it is a proper brawl, isn't it? I mean, it's it not it's not just someone arguing over who's buying the McDonald's that that day. It's clearly a very pent up, massive argument that has spilled into a full on fist fight. Mm. Uh, and we don't normally cover these sorts of stories from uh, from the states, uh, but this one was sort of too good not to cover. Um, and as a result, has been very very popular on the website, hasn't it? Mm. <laughs> yeah. How many people have read that this week? Uh, and there might be one Toyota dealership that may lose its franchise in the next yeah. wave of. Uh... I mean, what, the one thing I will say is what I like about it is they've all taken off their suit jackets for this fight. So uh, <laughs> there is no, like, they've clearly just like had a proper dust up beforehand, thrown their gloves on the ground. And so I challenge you to a duel and take their jackets off first just so they don't get damaged. Go and watch possibly, it. Possibly made by LMVH or LVH. Yeah, possibly, possibly. <laughs> well, funnily enough, I had that story as well, John. So I'm out. Oh, lovely. Uh, well, Tom, before we ask your verdict, is there, are there any stories you think we've missed? No, I think that's a pretty good coverage from this week, to be honest. Thank you very much. It's difficult to judge. Um, oh, can I judge now? Can you I, can. Will the judging commence? Um, oh, I, think, I think you got it. I think you got it, John, because you had more. Um, but also, I liked. I, I do like the fact that JLR are investing fifteen billion still in factories and improving the brand. I worry a little bit that that is. Um, a little bit late. I suspect stuff's going to change. One for a, one, one for a future podcast. Stuff's going to change around the twenty thirty deadline. We've already seen some stuff going on in in Germany around that. So um, all electric everything. Who knows if that's the right call? Um, and yeah, that is a that is a funny old story about the fight, isn't it? At the end of it. So I think you get it this time, John. Oh well, thank you very much. Another well, reason John. to go on holiday to the US. Uh, <laughs> dangerous to drive up someone else's driveway. Dangerous to go into a Toyota dealership. Oh anyway. God, I know. You think you might be safe there, just <laughs> Camrys and Corollas. But no. Oh, well, thank you very much for that. James, any final words? Um, 
Thank no. you for writing the stories that I That's won fine. With. That's fine. Thank you for picking them. Congratulations on winning. I'm going to go and cry into my cup of tea. Okay. Fair enough. Uh, well, all that's left is uh, to say thank you to Tom for judging today. It's been great to have you on and I uh, hope we'll see you again in another six months, if not even sooner. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, good to see you. Thank you. And best of luck with the, the launch in France uh, later today. Thank you very much. Yeah, lots going on. Absolutely. Um, thank you as well to James for competing. And thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode. Make sure you're subscribed so you can be notified when that goes live. If you're listening on Spotify, swipe up now and vote on who you think won. If you want to check out the stories I've mentioned today, click the links in the show notes below or head to cardinalmagazine.co.uk. Thanks again. And until next time, goodbye.